I read a story of young Amy Carter, the president's daughter, and she was at school and her history teacher assigned her a homework assignment about the Industrial Revolution. She comes home Friday night with this assignment and she didn't know the answer. She didn't know how to figure out the answer, so she asked her mom. And Rosalind was also unable to solve the, the question and, and give an answer. So she turns to an aide to seek clarification from the labor department. And since the report was due back on Monday, they put a rush on this request. And thinking the question was a serious request from the president, the labor department immediately cranked up the government computer and kept the full team of technicians and programmers working overtime all weekend at the cost of hundreds of thousands of dollars. The massive computer printout was finally delivered by truck to the White House on Sunday afternoon. And Amy showed up in class with the official answer the following day. But Amy's history teacher, while surprised by the volume of research, was not impressed with the answer and gave poor Amy Carter a big red C. Today, we're going to learn how to not get ahead of God. We need to be on his time and on his pace because he has a plan. He has a perfect plan and we should do the best we can to not mess that up. So in our series, To the Ends of the Earth, we've learned that the book of Acts is a continuation of the Gospels. And I I love that about, about this book. The Gospels ended in certain ways, and and the first chapter of Acts picks up those themes. Matthew ends with the resurrection, Mark with the ascension, Luke with the promise of the Holy Spirit, and John with the promise of Jesus' return. And all four of those themes are right there at the beginning of chapter 1 of Acts. So Acts is is the, the funnel that the four Gospels go into, and we get to hear the rest of the story of the birth of the mystery of the church. And we find that the disciples are once again in the upper room. Now, some of you have just returned from Israel and you've returned from an upper room. Now, we know for sure it is not the upper room. The reason we know that is because Jerusalem has been completely destroyed About 40 years after Jesus, not one stone left upon the other, so all buildings would have been flattened or just destroyed. So the the, the room that we take you to, and I think we explained this to you and nobody's going to be crushed, isn't the upper room. But I will say this, it sure feels like the upper room, doesn't it? I love the place that we take you, the traditional upper room, because it is in, I think, the right location. It is on Mount Zion in the city, the old city of Jerusalem. 
And as you're in that upper room, it, it actually has some, some Muslim motifs, which some people don't even realize that, like on, on some of the windows, just because the Muslims had control of that. But, but the architecture of the room is beautiful. It's very high. It's got a couple pillars in the room. And the acoustics are amazing. Now, there's so many people going in and out of the upper room today that they ask you not to stay real long, not to be real loud, and don't sing. Oh, but we had to sing, didn't we? We had to sing when we went into the upper room because that's what Jesus would have done with his disciples at the end of his time with them in the upper room. But here they are back in the upper room and we keep finding them in this place. This was kind of like a ground zero for the early church. This is where the church was born, in this upper room. We know Jesus appeared after his resurrection there in the upper room. But Jesus had told them to wait and then they're going to receive power. Now the room was filled with Many people, and all of the people had a different story and a different background and a different experience. But yet, they all had a single focus, a unity that was absolutely beautiful. As a matter of fact, Acts 1.14 says, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. You can just sense the unity that was there in that room. With all these different people, with all these different backgrounds, but they were all one. They all had one focus. There weren't divided interests. There weren't schisms in this room. There was just unity. And it's a beautiful thing when a church is unified. And I've had the pleasure of pastoring a church with remarkable unity. It's been a hallmark of this church. I hope it always is. I hope it is for the next pastor. That it is a place that you don't have to worry about fights and battles and schisms because we're all walking together with the Lord and we're all doing the same thing. And so there's just this, this unity. And I, and, and that's the unity that they would have had in that upper room. The last time we talked about this, we compared the unity to the, the two massive cables that hold up the great Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. How many of you have been to the Golden Gate Bridge? And it's just a magnificent bridge. Of course, it's the, the entrance uh, during the gold rush into the land of so-called promise. Very few people, though, ever benefited from the gold rush other than saloons and uh, other places. But... The bridge is, is remarkable. And that whole span is held up by those two huge cables. But do you know that those two huge cables are nothing more than little steel cables all wound in a certain way, in a certain order? When you have all of these people that are contributing together in unity, you can do great things. You can span massive problems. You can showcase God with unity. And together, these unified followers of Jesus could accomplish incredible feats, literally turning the world upside down. But there was one problem, as there always is, <laughs> one problem. There was one problem with all this enthusiasm. There is a temptation to get ahead of God. Now, if I have one glaring problem, it is slowing down. Not getting ahead of God. It's, it's waiting. It's patience. I can't, it's hard for me. 
But this is the lesson. Don't rush God. I'll explain that more, but let's look at verse 15 of Acts 1. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. So what is he going to say? We're going to hear that in a second. But there they are in the upper room. And who's speaking up? Peter, he's back. He's been restored privately, I believe, by Christ after the resurrection. Publicly with the rest of the disciples on the seashore. Restored threefold since he denied the Lord, failed the Lord three times. Isn't God a God of grace and, and love? If you will humble yourself, God can do great things with you. Even after you failed him. So there's 120 people. Peter's the one speaking up. Which is a great quality as long as it's harnessed, right? It's like that horse, that horse full of energy, that young, enthusiastic, powerful animal can do unbelievable things as long as that energy is focused and targeted and, and, and even. Of course, that same enthusiasm can go crazy and destroy things too. So this is Peter. He's learning. He's learning. And the Holy Spirit has been promised, but it's going to come later. It's not there yet. The Holy Spirit that falls upon all the people at the Feast of Pentecost is coming, but it, it, the Holy Spirit wasn't there yet. And, and God had said to wait. And I fear, and I, and I totally could be wrong on this, what I'm about to preach tonight, I'm not saying I'm 100% for sure this is what happened, but I think it is. I fear Paul was doing what I have a tendency to do, move more quickly and pass up God. Not smart. I will keep telling you Mount Sinai stories because it's fresh in my mind as we were just researching and searching and climbing in Saudi Arabia trying to find the real Mount Sinai. And our guide knew the mountain well. He had done this hike dozens of times and he was leading us on this hike and we had never been on this mountain. As a matter of fact, I've climbed very few mountains. I have no repelling experience other than some little wall at a gymnasium. We weren't repelling though. We were just, you know, serious hiking, climbing over rocks and things. And I had this tendency, our guide kept stopping. And although I was out of breath and I wanted to catch my breath and I wanted to rest and stop, I just felt like, man, let's get up there, you know? And so I found myself after we had had our halfway point, we had had our lunch, uh, we were continuing up. I found myself passing the guide. Now, now that I say that out loud, I'm thinking, what in the world? Why? I don't know where to go. I mean, I know I'm going up there, but there's different ways. And if you go all the way over here, you're going to find there's a solid rock and the drop off and you can't go that way. So somebody had found this route and they had stacked the rocks and you just look for the stacks of rocks. And there were also, this is crazy, but there's wild donkeys in the area and the donkeys are very sure footed and they had created paths. So what you would do is just try to look for signs of, uh, of like the, the plants or the, the weeds that are, are mashed down by the hoofs. And then you'll find donkey droppings every now and then. I never thought I'd be so happy to see donkey droppings. 
But it was really hard to pick your way and to figure it out. And, and the next thing I know, I'm ahead of the guide. And I'm, I'm finding my own way. Like I, like I know what I'm doing, but I didn't. I had enthusiasm, but I didn't have a lot of wisdom at the moment. And sure enough, I get to a spot. And I can't go left. I can't go right. I can't go up. And I see the guide taking another route. I'm like, ah, oh, that means I've got to go all the way back down and go back up. And I just expended all that energy. How dumb it is to pass up the guide. But that's what we do. That's what we do. I'm going to explain that more later in the message. But let's continue reading in Acts 1 verse 16. It says, men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled. Remember, this is Peter speaking in the upper room to 120 people. He says, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled. What is this scripture? Well, he's quoting from the Hebrew scriptures. He's quoting from the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, he's going to tell us closer to where he's quoting from. He says, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David. Okay, so we know David is the author. We know David wrote Psalms, a lot of the Psalms. Spake before concerning Judas. Now, Peter is saying that King David wrote about Judas. Yeah, he did. Which was guide to them that took Jesus. So Peter is referring to Judas, the traitor who had killed himself. And he's bringing up Judas for a reason. And he's bringing up these prophecies for a reason. He says, for he was numbered with us, speaking of Judas, and obtained part of this ministry. Now this man, Judas, purchased a field with the reward of iniquity. What was the reward of iniquity? 30 pieces of silver. That was predicted too, wasn't it? And falling headlong, he burst asunder in the mist, and all his bowels gushed out. Wow. I hope you've already had dinner. I hope it wasn't spaghetti and meat sauce. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper language, in the proper tongue, which was what? Aramaic? A keldama. Keldama. That is to say, what does a keldama mean? In Aramaic, it says it right here, the field of blood. So at the day that this was written, they still called that field, that place, that they had used the money from Judas' betrayal, a keldama, the field of blood. Now, where is this a keldama? Well, there's a tradition, and they don't know exactly for sure where it is, but there's a tradition that it's near where the Valley of Hinnom, which is the valley, if you were to go out of the upper room and just go straight down um, south, the mountain of Zion, you would come to the Hinnom Valley and then, and, and where it met the Kidron Valley, which is the valley that separates the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. So you, you find the place where those two meet and they believe that was a Keldama, the field of blood. That's at least the tradition of it, which is just southeast of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. The field of blood was called that because it was purchased with blood money, right? It was the the money that eventually led to the arrest and positive identification and trial and death of Jesus. This is blood money. The field of blood. Now, hold on a second. If you know your Bible you'll realize that there's a possible discrepancy here, right? With the way Judas died. Here, Peter is saying in Acts that Judas fell headlong and his 
midsection burst and all his guts, his bowels gushed out. But remember, Matthew tells us something different. Matthew in 27.5 says that Judas cast down the pieces of silver in the temple. So he was feeling remorse and guilt for doing what he did. So he brought the money back and they didn't want the money back. So he threw down the money and departed and went and hanged himself. So we have two discrepancies here. One is the way Judas died and the other is what was done with his money. Acts seems to tell us that he went and bought a field with the money called the field of blood, the potter's field, the place that people that didn't have a burial plot would be buried. Matthew says that he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and he hanged himself. So so what is it? How did he die and what did he do with that money? I'll tell you something. There's one solution that answers both Matthew's account and Acts' account, and it's this. And, And this is... Sometimes when you come to some confusion in the Bible, all you need to do is study a little bit, pray, Lord, help me understand this. And then what you're going to find is all of a sudden the answer is, is amazing. Okay. So, so what you're going to find is that the two different so-called discrepancies are just more information from one than the other gave. It's, it's not a contradiction. It's a complimentary piece of information. So how can these two work? Well, Judas came and brought the money and threw it down. That money was not allowed to be used in the temple treasury because it had been gained by uh, illegitimate means. It is funny because the priests were the ones that gave him the money to commit a, uh, you know, you're not supposed to betray a friend, right? That's against God. That's against the law. But he did. And so they wouldn't take the money back because they have principles, but they gave him the money, right? So what happened? Well, since it was his money, uh, they basically, he was the benefactor that they used the money to purchase the field. They called the field of blood because it was blood money. So although Judas didn't actually take the money and buy the field, it was his money. They couldn't take it into the temple treasury. So therefore, they attributed the field to Judas. Now, what about the hanging and the, the falling and splitting open? Well, what if he hang, hung himself, which he did. The Bible says he did. And whatever he used, perhaps his, his cinch or his belt, uh, as he was hanging, maybe he was about expired or expired, and it broke or untied, and he fell and hit the stones and split open. So all of a sudden, what, was, what some people would say is a contradiction is actually more information. And the more that you study and the more that you ask the Lord to help you understand things, you get enlightened. You don't have to ever fear. Is this true? Did this really happen? Now, let me go back to something it said in Acts 1.16. Peter was saying that these things must need to be fulfilled, and we'll get into that in a second. But he said, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spoke. Do you know Scripture is men writing down what God was moving them along to say? The Holy Spirit, it's like... Think of a sailboat and, and the wind moves that boat along and that boat moves by the, that, by the strength of that wind and the, and the direction of that wind. And that's how God does it. Now you, what's amazing about scripture is this, and I, I really want you to get this. I really want you to like appreciate what you have here in this incredible book. This is God breathed. You still maintain the, uh, the sense of the writer, the style of the writer, but it's still God. It's what God says. 
Now, there are going to be times when you don't like what God says, but that's not his problem. That's our problem, right? This is God breathe. God, the Holy Ghost, move them along on what to write and what to say. And it's so awesome. It was funny, in Israel, uh, we were sitting with the guides. I was getting to know them a little bit. We had a couple new guides. and I was at the airport waiting for the flights to come in. And the guide was starting to tell me a story about someone on his tour, an older lady on his tour from, uh, they, she was from America, by herself. She died on the tour. And so, you know, they hadn't purchased any trip insurance and and no one knew what to do. So the guide is is trying to solve this for the family. So he, the guide finds the number of the daughter in the United States and calls the daughter. And, you know, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but your mom died. And, you know, it's obviously a shock, but the, the daughter was actually like, Hey, you know, I mean, I, I miss my mom, but what a, what a place to go, you know, in Israel, the guy's like, okay, whatever. Um, so like, what, what do you want me to do? And, and he said, he promised, he told he was telling me the truth. He said, the daughter said, well, she had a round way ticket, round trip ticket. Oh, well, you can't obviously strap her into a seat, you know, get her home, put some sunglasses on her. I don't know. Wow. Wow. Isn't that funny? Oh, the things that happen in Israel. But the thing with, with scripture is it, it tells you the truth. It tells you things that are accurate. And here we find out that yes, he did die by hanging, but we now know a little bit more because of Peter's um, being moved along in the book of Acts. So that's kind of neat. Now, when talking about Judas, Peter mentions fulfilled scripture. So he's basically saying that David in a song, predicted Judas' betrayal and the fact that they would have to replace him. Isn't that amazing? You're reading through the Bible. We probably wouldn't even pick that up. But after the fact, sometimes we can look back and say, oh yeah, you know, Jesus' words on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You can find that in the Psalms. It it was predictive, but it was kind of hidden in the Psalms. So the more you know, the more you research, the more you study, the more amazed that you're going to be about the Bible. So what was he quoting? Well, Peter tells us he's referring to David in the Psalms, and, and we can find those two things. One is, uh, well, he says in Acts one twenty. let's continue to, to, write, uh, to read what uh, Peter said, for it is written in the book of Psalms. And this is his quote, let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein and his bishopric which is basically a bishop or a, a spiritual office, a, a spiritual position, let another take. So he's quoting actually from two Psalms. One is Psalm 69, verse 25, let their habitation be desolate and let none dwell in their tents. And then in Psalm 109, verse 8, let his days be few and let another take his office. So we have here the fulfillment of both of these things in Judas, in his treachery, in his awful death. Scripture is amazing. It's God-breathed to find these hidden prophecies in the middle of a song is remarkable. 
So let's get into this whole don't rush God thing, okay? So this was all kind of the setup. Peter was just saying, you know, we've got to replace Judas. He's taking the long road, as sometimes preachers do. Uh, Of course, this was inspired, so whatever is in the scripture is what God wanted him to say. So look at Acts one twenty one. Wherefore, of these men which have companioned with us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. What, he, what he's doing here in the upper room before the Holy Spirit, while they're supposed to be waiting, is starting to talk about replacing Judas. Replacing Judas. He knew that the scriptures said that Judas needed to be replaced, and so he was taking it upon himself to do it. Now, some people will say what he was doing here is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. And we never find the Bible saying that Peter was wrong. We never find the Bible saying that the one they selected isn't an apostle. So I can't be dogmatic, but I really feel like he jumped the gun. I really feel like Peter should have been waiting and allowing God to direct him in this replacement. Why? Because there's an obvious replacement for Judas. If you know your Bible at all, you know there's an obvious person that that I think replaced Judas. So he's saying, you know, we got to find someone, verse 22, from the beginning of the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must be one ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And by the way, the replacement for Judas did have to be a witness to the resurrection. Now we know the two that they chose, and and here they're going to say, they appointed two, Joseph called Barasabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. They picked two people that, and we know that they weren't all with Jesus from the from John the Baptist, because there were others that came along later. But Jesus still chose them, so I believe that was probably an arbitrary qualification for. I think the person needed to know Jesus and needed to be a witness of the resurrection or have seen the resurrected Jesus with his own eyes. So anyways, they come up with these two candidates, Joseph and Matthias. Now, there's a saying in downhill skiing, and that saying is this, don't get ahead of your skis. How many of you have skied either cross country or downhill? You kind of know what I'm talking about, don't you? You kind of know what I'm talking about. It's easy to get ahead of your skis, which is really bad because that means your skis are behind you and you're probably going down on your face or tumbling or rolling and skis flying uh, every which way. And I love skiing, but I, I am the most careful skier you've ever seen. While my buddy, Pastor Paul Julian, was flying off jumps, I was going about five miles an hour over the jump. I don't think I ever got any air under my ski. On purpose. Don't get ahead of your skis. I take that literally. And, and I really think that Jesus had clearly said, wait, go and wait, wait for the spirit. Acts 1, 4, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Who was the, who was the promise of the father? What were they waiting for? The Holy Spirit. And it hadn't come yet. He hadn't come yet. And sure, they were going stir crazy. It'd be like getting a COVID diagnosis while you're in Jerusalem. Now you have to spend the next five days in your hotel room with your 
spouse. Can you imagine something so crazy? You're laughing because that just happened with one of our families. Uh, and uh, they gave testimony recently, and, and the husband was saying, yeah, we had a lot to do. We watched Gunsmoke and Touched by an Angel. It's funny what American television is on in, in Jerusalem. You know, It's really interesting. So, yeah, you're going to go stir crazy. You're, 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 you know, you want to do something. You, you don't want to just wait. Nobody wants to just wait. But the Bible says sometimes, I'm not talking about a lot, but I'm saying sometimes you need to wait. Where does it say that? Psalm 27, verse four, uh, 14. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. That's so hard to do. One of our favorite passages is Isaiah 40, verse 31. But they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Wait. Wait, but it's hard. It's so hard to wait on the Lord. Don't rush God, folks. Don't rush God. And maybe I'm wrong. And, 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 and maybe, maybe he wasn't rushing God. Maybe this was okay. Maybe Matthias is the 12th apostle. I'm not positive. I think I'm right on this, but I'm not positive. But I know for sure, don't rush God. Don't rush. I know that's a fact. I know that's a truth. Wait on the Lord. Whatever that is. Make sure he's clear. And if you're saying, well, I'm not positive, Lord. What do you want me to do, this or that? And you're just not getting an answer, not getting an answer. Don't rush it. Just pray, Lord, I'm going to wait until you make it very clear. Like, duh, okay? That's what you need to do. Just, why not wait? Why not wait? Verse 24 of Acts 1 says, and they prayed. Now, let me stop there and say, good job. That's exactly what you should do. Pray, pray. They stopped and they prayed. Now, maybe the prayer should have been before they selected two people to choose between the two to be the next apostle, the 12th apostle to replace Judas. But here they prayed and we have to commend that. We have to, you know, who am I to to be critical of anybody, right? But we want to learn. We want to learn from people's mistakes. And I think this was a mistake. But here they prayed and that's a good thing. They said, thou Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. So they basically picked two people. And I'm sure they were great people. They were probably totally qualified. But, but were they called of God or were they chosen of men? And I know there's a fine balance there. But, you know, they had heard from, they had heard from God and I think they could have waited and made sure. So they make this prayer, and the prayer is good. Prayer should be as normal as breathing. Prayer should play an important role in our lives. We should pray when we wake up. We should pray before we eat. We should pray before we sleep. We should pray silent prayers all day long. That's one of the things I loved about having Mike Pompeo here, the former Secretary of State. In his book, he, he wrote, uh, the book Never Give an Inch, he wrote about demanding the release of three Americans from North Korea. He demanded it to Kim Jong-un, and he went to his plane and waited. That must have been a hard time to wait. 
And as he waited on the plane, he wrote in the book, he said a quick prayer under his breath. God, he says, hears even the quietest prayers. Prayer needs to be an important part of our life, a hallmark of a life, just like we, just like we breathe. And it's true. Prayer played an important role. And you study the book of Acts, you look at almost every chapter, you're going to find prayer from Peter, from uh, the stoning of Stephen. And he's praying all the way to the prison doors of Philippi opening because they had been praying. Everywhere you look in Acts, you find prayer. Amazing things happen when God's people pray. One person said prayer is both the thermometer and the thermostat of the local church. For the spiritual temperature either goes up or down depending on how God's people pray. John Bunyan, the one who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, said prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge to Satan. So I wonder if Peter should have prayed before They selected two, not afterwards. But either way, they prayed, and that was good. So Acts one twenty six. what happened? Well, they gave forth their lots. Now, you say, wait a second. Why would they choose by lot? Well, casting lots was common in the Old Testament. They would use coins or sticks or dice uh, to select things like which tribe got the land allotment. Or remember, Achan was found out by lot. And, and Jonah was found out by lot, the guilty parties. So, so the lot was used and approved in the Old Testament. Um, I think it's something we shouldn't do unless you, God clearly tells you to do that. But it's, it's, to me, it's like rolling the dice. But either way, I don't think that I, I wouldn't fault them for that, but just how they, how they did it. And then Matthias was chosen of the two by the lot. And again, I think he was a good man. I'm sure he was. And he had been with the disciples at least some of the time or a lot of the time. He had seen the resurrected Jesus with his own eyes. But we don't find anything else about Matthias in the Bible. Now, some critics of of my position would say, well, you don't really hear a lot about many of the other disciples after this. And that's true. But we literally don't hear anything else about Matthias other than right here. So... Why does it matter? You say, Pastor Scudder, did you just preach a whole message about something that doesn't matter? Maybe. No, I think it does matter. Here's why. You can look this up later. Matthew 19, Jesus tells the disciples that in the future, they're going to be sitting on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel with him. Well, if there's 12 thrones, and we know Judas isn't on one of the thrones, somebody is. Who? Well, I would submit to you, My feeling is the Apostle Paul. Makes sense to me. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I don't think so, but it does matter. Revelation 21, remember, there's this this, uh, new Jerusalem coming out of heaven, and the walls of the new Jerusalem would have 12 foundations with the names of the 12 apostles. So you have two places in the future that we know there's going to be 12, and it's going to be Paul or Matthias. And I'll promise you this, when we get to heaven, you better not say, I told you so, Pastor Scudder. And I certainly won't or can't say, I told you so, because we won't have the, the pride of the sin nature anymore, will we? 
But it does matter, and it is important. And I, I really believe that, that they got ahead of God. They rushed God. Now, if they didn't, I, no problem. No problem. And I don't want to be harsh or critical, but I know for sure we don't want to get ahead of God. We don't want to get ahead of his plan. Let him guide. Who are we? We don't know the path. We don't know the best way. Yeah, we might think we do, but we don't. So just take your time and be patient. So why do I think the 12th apostle is Paul? Well, I think Jesus personally appointed one person to take the place of Judas Iscariot. I, I find that in Galatians 1.1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ. Who selected Paul? Jesus did. Okay? On the road to Damascus, he saw the light. He recognized his need He realized Jesus wasn't a fraud. He wasn't the one he was supposed to be stopping or persecuting the followers of Jesus. He realized Jesus is the son of God. And he realized that and he was saved. And then he was selected by Jesus to be an apostle. Paul had seen the risen Lord. You say, well, it wasn't like the rest. Yeah, but... Jesus doesn't always work in the ways that we would work and in the way, ways that we would do. This was incredible. Paul had seen with his eyes the resurrected Lord. As a matter of fact, remember in 1 Corinthians 15, when he was talking about the gospel, he said that he was one born out of due time. Like he, it just, it didn't really make sense that he was one of the apostles, but, and he said right there in that passage that he was the least of the apostles, but he was one of the apostles. And there's 12. The word apostle means one who is called, one who is appointed. And you know what you find interesting? If you read almost every beginning of everything that Paul wrote under the inspiration of God in Romans and First and Second Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, First and Second Timothy, and Titus, all in the first sentence, in the first verse, open with Paul saying he was called of God to be an apostle. So I think that kind of settles it. But again, I'm not being dogmatic about Paul being the 12th apostle. It could be Matthias, truly could. But I am dogmatic about this. Don't rush, God. Wait, be patient, let him guide. He knows the way, he knows the path. Settle down. I'm talking to myself. If I've ever preached a message to myself, this is it. You don't have to say amen. You don't. And I'm being serious. This is, this is a real issue. So be patient. Wait on the Lord. And he can do great. He'll, he'll guide you in the, in the right way, in the fastest way, in the best way. And, and uh, we'll kick ourselves when we get ahead of him. We really will. Isn't it sad, though, to see what Judas did and, and how he had been uh, pretending? But he had never Put his faith in Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Have you put your trust in him? Have you said, I'm a sinner and I can't save myself, but I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the, the promised one, God in the flesh. And I believe that Jesus paid for my sins on the cross and rose again. If you'll do that, the Bible says that it would be saved. And you ha- won't ever have to worry about that anymore. You don't ever have to worry about hell anymore. Once you have put your faith in Jesus, the son of God who died and rose again. And don't ever get tired of telling that message. You don't have to wait on the Lord to tell that message. You know that's what he wants you to do. It's been clear in the scripture. So let's share that message with a hurting and dying world.